You're listening to Shalise's Podcast. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday. It is time for a new episode. Let me start off with some prayer, and then we're going to hop into our hot topic today, okay? So I'm so glad that you guys are joining. All right, well, Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to just chat with everyone today and to hear from you today. Father, we are entering into a series called Christian Contradictions. And Father, I just approach this topic, first of all, from a place of humility, Father. I am so thankful for for the work that you've done in my life to help me detox from religion and to see you through the lens of unconditional love and grace and mercy, and to really reframe the gospel from a perspective of union with Christ. And Father, it has transformed my life, and not only my life, but the lives of so many others, Father, that have been able to to go on this journey with me. And so today, Father, I'm just praying that you would settle us into a place of of humility and a place of open-mindedness. That, Father, we could receive the gospel as the unbelievably good, good news that it actually is. And that, Father, we could take on the role of a Berean. And that we could study to show ourselves approved for ourselves, Father. That we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the winds of doctrine. But that, Father, we could enter into Christ completely, that we could find ourselves hidden in him, that we could find ourselves without an existence apart from Christ. And from that place, Father, recognize that there is no separation from God and that it is an illusion that we were alienated from you, honestly, in our minds, God, but you are renewing our minds to the truth of what Jesus accomplished on Calvary what he accomplished through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, not just for the church, Father, but for all of humanity, that you love human beings, that you love us so much, Father, that you died as us, and you crucified on the cross anything and everything that would ever separate us from you. Thank you, Father, for filling my mouth. Thank you for speaking the words of truth. Thank you for making it clear and simple, Father. And we just yield to you, Father, for the words that you're wanting to speak to all of us today, Father. Thank you for encouraging us, for opening the eyes of our understanding, Father, and causing us to love you and love others and love ourselves the way that you do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, awesome, you guys. This is a a series that I really have been encouraged to do. (laughs) It's one that I probably have not um, put on the schedule for a while because I know that it's going to challenge people. And I know that it is a process that um, there is a move of God, honestly, in the church today to restore the foundation of the gospel message to a message that is 100% founded on our union with Jesus Christ. And this movement is going on in all spheres of Christian world. And I just happen to be one of many that has really been commissioned by God to help the church um, detox from religion and honestly just fall in love with the world, with people, the way that Jesus is in love with people. And unfortunately, today where we sit in America, we have a vast chasm between the church and the world. And we have a really big love deficit in the world. And so I am going to jump into this message today, truly as I prayed, just from a place of humility, because I have been on this journey, honestly, my entire life. For those of you who don't know, I am 53 years old at this point. I have been in church most of my life, um, was saved in a Baptist church, you know, when I was 10 years old. 
and rebelled from God for many, many years because I just couldn't be a good Christian. And I just thought that God just was, uh, I don't know, an angry God, a, a judgmental God, a sin-focused God. And honestly, it caused all kinds of problems in my own life. I mean, my own testimony is really the testimony of meeting Jesus for myself and really detoxing from a lot of the very toxic things that I learned uh, in the church. And so I want to start out today with, um, I want to start out honestly in the beginning. We're going to be talking about this, this problem of sin, this problem of judgment, and the way God uh, is viewed. You know, um, is God a sin-focused God? Is God focused on the sins of the world? Is God uh, uh, judging the world? Is he judging America? Is he judging, you know, what is he doing with all of the evil that's in the world today and all of the evil that's happening all over the place? What is God's role in this? What is he doing? And in order to do that, I think I have to back up and I have to start in the garden because I think we have a mis, uh, diagnosis. We have a wrong definition of what sin actually is. And I, I have to go back to the beginning, uh, to actually unpack what is it that we're actually dealing with, right? Because the garden gives us a clue into really what the nature of sin is. And most believers have not really grasped this point. Uh, when we define sin, we normally think of it in something that is, you know, like a list of, of do's and don'ts. And these are all the don'ts on the list, right? So the don'ts are don't lie, don't murder, you know, don't be jealous, don't uh, commit adultery, don't steal, uh, don't covet in your heart. Uh, you know, there's all of these things that we think about that are sin, Right. And truthfully, sin is a completely different perspective than a list of do's and don'ts. And so when we go back to the garden and we look at the two trees that were in the, in the garden, right? We have the tree of life and we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, sin did not enter into the world until Adam and Eve ate of this tree which was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if we go back and read the account of that in Genesis, uh, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting story. It's a really interesting, uh, just perspective on the origin of sin. And so I want to go there. Let me just go back into it. I'm just going to read it in the voice translation. So I'm going back to Genesis really quick. Uh, okay, and we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading about the enemies, actually it's Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to start reading about how the enemy tempted Eve, and how it led up to them eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and here's what it says. In verse one, it says, of all the wild creatures, the eternal God created, the serpent was the craft, craftiest. And to the woman, the serpent said to the woman, is it true that God has forbidden you to eat fruits from the trees of the garden? Eve, no serpent. God said, we are free to eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. We are granted access to any variety and all amounts of fruit with one exception, the fruit of the tree found in the center of the garden. God instructed us not to eat or touch the fruit of that tree or we would die. The serpent says in verse four, die. No, you'll not die. God is playing games with you. The truth is that God knows that the day that you eat the fruit from that tree, you will awaken something powerful in you and become like him, possessing knowledge of both good and evil. Now, I want to stop here for a moment because it's interesting that the tree was proposed to make us like God. And the trait of us being God-like was this knowledge of good and evil. And what I want to propose to you here for a moment is that good and evil in itself 
is not the issue. The issue is the knowledge of it. And the knowledge of it, what makes it so powerful, is that it causes human beings to be the judge. It puts us in the place of judging good and evil when that place was completely reserved for God and God alone. And so the root of sin is judgment. The root of sin is the knowledge of good and evil and being the one who determines what is good and what is evil. And if you keep reading here in Genesis, after, you know, Eve ends up eating the tree and then gives it uh, the fruit and giving it to Adam. In verse nine, it says, where are you? Adam, when he heard the sound of, Adam says this, when I heard the sound of you coming in the garden, I was afraid because I am naked and I hid from you. God says in verse 11, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree in the center of the garden, the very one I commanded you not to eat from? Adam, pointing to the woman, said, it, it was she. The woman you gave me as a companion put the fruit in my hands and I ate it. And God says, what have you done? And Eve said, it was the serpent. He tricked me and I ate. Okay, now the very first thing I want to share with you is that immediately after Adam and Eve ate of this tree, they absolutely were awakened in a sense. But truthfully, what happened is they, they honestly fell asleep. Um, the God of this world blinded their eyes. And now all of a sudden, their perception of everything changed. They went from perceiving themselves, frankly, not even really being self-conscious, to all of a sudden judging themselves as, as, as evil or wrong, uh, ashamed, uh, they were, instead of going from naked and unashamed, they went to naked and ashamed. And now they're hiding from God and their, their consciousness changed. And now there's this blame going on, right? There's this, Adam now is blaming Eve for his own actions. He's, there's this whole different way that now Adam and Eve are relating to one another and they're relating to God. And this break in relationship, this break in their ability to see one another as innocent and their ability to see God correctly was completely destroyed by the knowledge of good and evil. And that's the first thing that I want to share, okay, is that sin is not a list of don'ts. And it's not this relationship with well, I'm just going to be good. And then if I'm good, then God will love me. Or if I'm good, God will bless me. Or if I'm good, X, 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 X. And if I'm bad, God will punish me. And if I do these things, God will punish me. And X, 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 right? Sin itself is this judgment. It's this judgment of good. And it's this judgment of evil. And the entire human race is eating of this tree day in and day out, day in and day out, and playing judge. That, my friends, is the root of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. That, my friends, is the root of sin. And love and judgment are completely different trees. Love and judgment cannot exist they are mutually exclusive states of being. Now, I also want to talk about what happened from a sense of just really what Jesus came to undo. Okay. In, in Romans chapter, I want to go to Romans chapter four. Okay. Let's just go there for a moment. Actually, Romans chapter five. This is, explaining really what happened, okay? And Romans 5 is kind of like a compare and a contrast essay, if you will, where the writer is comparing the, 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 the act of disobedience that Adam did 
to the act of obedience that Jesus did. And here's what he says. Um, in verse, let's just talk about it from verse 12. It says, consider this. Sin entered our world through one man, Adam. And through sin, death followed in hot pursuit. Death spread rapidly to infect all people on the earth as they engaged in sin. Before God gave the law, sin existed, but there was no way to account for it. Outside of the law, how could anyone be charged and found guilty of sin? Still, death plagued all of humanity from Adam to Moses, even those whose sin was of a different sort than Adam's. You see, in God's plan, Adam was a prototype of the one who comes to usher in a new day. But the free gift of grace bears no resemblance to Adam's crime that brings a death sentence to all of humanity. In fact, it is quite the opposite. For if one man's sin brings death to so many, how much more does the gift of God's radical grace extend to humanity since Jesus the anointed offered his generous gift? His free gift is nothing like the scourge of the first man's sin. The judgment that fell because of one false step brought condemnation, but the free gift following countless offenses results in a favorable verdict, not guilty. If one man's sin brought a reign of death, that's Adam's legacy, how much more will those who receive grace in abundance and the free gift of redeeming justice reign in life by means of another man, Jesus, the anointed? So here's the result. One man's sin brought about condemnation and punishment for all people. So one man's act of faithfulness makes, us, makes all of us right with God and brings us to new life. Just as through one man's defiant disobedient, every one of us was made sinners. So through the willing obedience of one man, will we be made right? Now, I want to just challenge you just a moment here. Okay, Adam's one act of disobedience condemned the entire human race to a life of sin, a life of lawlessness, and frankly, a life of judging, plain judge. And it wasn't until the law was given that we actually had a standard for right and wrong, right? So now here we have the standard of right and wrong, but truthfully, the knowledge of good and evil was always reserved for God. And so in Romans 5, they're doing this, you know, it, it, there's this comparing and contrasting that all of humanity was penalized because one guy broke the rules. You and I were not there in the, in the garden. We were never given the choice. Okay, should I eat of the, the tree of life? Should I eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We did not have a choice to be so-called born into sin. So doesn't it make sense that in the same way we didn't have a choice to become a sinner, that we would not be given a choice to become righteous. Now, I know that this is going against a lot of what we've been taught in church, but we need to examine it. And I also know that cognitive dissonance is a real thing. And what that means is that when we hear something that challenges what we've been taught, we cannot even hear it. And in fact, because we have been programmed in church that it is really easy to be deceived, that we have to be careful what we, what we hear or what we learn because the enemy is always out there trying to deceive us, we have been taught to not even question the narrative. We have been taught to not even, even consider for ourselves that there is more than one view of Scripture that there is more than one interpretation of what we've been taught. 
And that doesn't even make sense because truthfully, we know that's the case because that's why there's all these different de denominations. There's all these different denominations out there that, that claim that their interpretation of scripture is the correct one. And you know what happens between denominations? Well, they aren't very friendly necessarily with one another. We have all this disunity in the body of Christ because we disagree on the interpretation of scripture. So what I want to say is that if we're going to heal the divide, not only between the church, but heal the divide between the church and the world, and we're actually going to win the world, then we have to be willing to question the very things that when we really sit down and think about it, it doesn't even make common sense. Okay, It doesn't make common sense that all of humanity would be condemned to death because of one guy's disobedience. How is that even in whatever version of love? Okay, we don't punish all of the kids because one kid acts up. If that's the case, we'd all be in prison. We'd all be have a death sentence. We'd all be in the electric chair because one person screwed up. It doesn't even make sense. And all Romans 5 is saying is that Adam was a prototype. And in the same way, through one man's act of disobedience, many died and many were made sinners through one man's righteous act by going to the cross and becoming sin and, 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 and taking on the, the, that's why he's called the last Adam, by taking on the role of, of humanity, of all of humanity. He died once for all is what scripture teaches us, that Jesus died once for all of humanity in the same way that Adam condemned all of humanity. And so we have to be really, really careful about the way that we judge other people and the way that we judge ourselves, the way that we look at other people's sin and the way that we, we play self-righteous judge to make ourselves feel okay. We have to let go of this classification of people that are sinners and people that are righteous and people that are accepted by God and people that are rejected by God. And we have to lay down our relationship with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I want to chat with you a little bit. I want to go to 2 Corinthians. I think this is where I want to go. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to talk about... Um, 2 Corinthians 5 is where I want to go. Um, and I want to talk about what the ministry of reconciliation actually is. And in order to understand our role as, as people who have been awakened to, and most of us have been awakened to a version of the gospel, at least we know that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. At least we know that he died on the cross, you know, most of us would say for our sins. And at least we have opened up our hearts to the forgiveness of God, which is beautiful. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that I was introduced to Jesus as the one who forgave my sins. But he did way more than forgive my sins. He became my sins. And he didn't just become my sins. He became the sin. He became sin itself. He took judgment into his own body. And he eradicated the entity of sin. He eradicated sin's relationship in our relationship with God. And he reconciled, and frankly, and, and, and it talks about in Colossians, the entire cosmos to himself. It says in, 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 in Colossians chapter 1 that God was in Christ reconciling the world, reconciling the cosmos to himself. And in here in 2 Corinthians 4, this is what it says. It says um, this, it says, Verse 14, you see the controlling force in our lives is the love of the anointed one. And our confession is this, one died for all, therefore all have died. He died for us so that we will live, not for ourselves, but for him who died and rose from the dead. Verse 16, because of all that God has done, we now have a new perspective. We used to show regard for people based on worldly, worldly standards and interests. 
No longer. Therefore, if anyone is united with the anointed one, that person is a new creation. The old life is gone and see a new life has begun. All of this is a gift from our creator God who has pursued us and brought us into a restored and healthy relationship with him through the anointed. And he has given us the same ministry of reconciliation to bring others back to him. It is our, it is central to our good news that God was in the anointed, making things right between himself and the world. This means he does not hold their sins against them, but it also means he charges us to proclaim the message that heals and restores our broken relationships with God and each other. Okay, I'm going to read this one more time, you guys, because it's a really important point. It is central to our good news that God was in the anointed, making things right between himself and the world. This means he does not hold their sins against them. But it also means he charges us to proclaim the message that heals and restores our broken relationships with God and each other. So we are now representatives of the anointed one, the liberating king. God has given us a charge to carry through our lives, urging all people on behalf of the anointed to become reconciled to the creator God. He orchestrated this, the anointed one who had never experienced sin became sin for us so that in him, we might embody the very righteousness of God. Okay, I want to read that last scripture to you in the Passion Translation. It reads this way. It says this. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. You and I have a righteousness, and I'm not just saying you and I. I mean, guys, this is the thing that I really want to, to, I'm just going to say it straight. That Jesus died for every human being. And that when he was reconciling the world to himself and reconciling the cosmos to himself, there is nothing left to be reconciled. All is in Christ. Paul spoke at Athens and said, you are children of God. You live and move and have your being inside of him. But we have been programmed with this us and them mentality. And we think that somehow the righteousness of God is just reserved for those of us that have been awakened to this reality. And the truth is, there's only two kinds of people, believers and unbelievers. There's only two kinds of people, awake and asleep. There's only two people that have uh, been told the, the truth about reconciliation. They've been told the truth about what has happened to them. They've been told the truth about the new creation. And as they've been told the, the truth, they, they begin to experience it. And this is a completely different message than the message that most of us have grown up with, believing that it is the gospel. And we have to challenge these ideas because it changes the way we see human beings. And it takes us out of the role of judge. It takes us out of playing judge. It takes us out of the role of having a righteousness, even based on the fact that somehow we're awakened. We have this like we're better than people. And I'm telling you, I know that this is not conscious. I know that we're not doing it on, on, on purpose necessarily. But we have a relationship, most of us, because we have an unrenewed mind that is constantly playing judge. And we are judging good and evil, good person, bad person, good behavior, bad behavior, rather than seeing everyone in 
Christ. We all have no room to boast. Salvation is a gift. It is completely the act of one righteous man. He did not ask our permission. He did it while we were still lost in our separation from God. In Colossians, it says we were alienated from God in our own minds. And we have to awaken to the reality that God loves the world. God loves the world. God loves the world. God loves the world. He loves every single person. And he has reconciled every single person. There is nothing left to do except to pronounce and announce you are one with God. Everything that was ever in your past that would separate you from God has been annihilated in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, you are co-identified with him. In fact, his crucifixion was your crucifixion. His burial was your burial. His resurrection was your resurrection. And his ascension was your ascension. You're a new creation. You are in Christ. You are righteous. He became sin and you became righteous. He undid the work of Adam. You've been redeemed. You've been translated. You are an entirely new creation. You guys, this is such an important distinction. Because if we think that God is holding sins against people, then we do not understand what Jesus did on the cross. If we think that Jesus is like Santa, making a list of who's naughty and nice, going to check it, going to check it twice, and he's going to bless us and take away blessings and punish us and all of these things based upon a relationship with the knowledge of good and evil, we have missed the point. We have completely missed the point. And we have permission. In fact, we are commanded to fall in love with the human race, that we are the representation now of Jesus. We are the representation of the Father now. We are his body. We are his hug. We are his hands of healing. We are his, his message of encouragement, his message of good news. It's good news. You know, most people have not even done a study. I'm just going to throw it out here, guys. Most people have never even done a study of hell. Not for themselves. They've never done and unpacked the three words in the Bible that are referred to as hell, Shoal and Hades and Gehenna. We've never even questioned the narrative of what we've been taught. We haven't questioned the lens through which we, we, we view scripture. You know, Jesus Christ is the express image of the Father. He told people, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Hebrews, it says that he's the exact imprint of God, that Jesus Christ is love personified and love lays down its life. Love lays down its life. Jesus, in fact, died for the, as, not just for the people that crucified him, but died as the people that crucified him. He is love. And love is not too difficult to understand. You guys, we inherently know it. We inherently know when something feels like love and when it doesn't feel like love. And yet we have all of these Christian twists on this stuff. And we think that God is not as judging people for their sins. We think God is judging countries for their sins. When honestly, guys, sin is judgment enough. You and I know that. That sin is misery. It is judgment in that we bring into ourselves. Separation from God is an illusion that when we are operating out of it, it causes death. It causes death in all of its forms. And so our preoccupation with sin, our sin consciousness is misrepresenting the gospel. It is misrepresenting what Jesus absorbed in his body. If he became sin, where is it now? If he became it, if he crucified it, 
And if we're crucified with him, and, and the problem is, I mean, the, is that we think of everything from the, from the, from the fallen perspective of separation from God. And there's only two places to be. Are we in Adam? Are we in Christ? There's only two men here that we're dealing with. And that's what Romans 5 is talking about. It's talking about how one man's disobedience caused death for all men and one man's righteous act called righteousness for all men. And I know that this is challenging, challenging. I get it. I've sat with this stuff for decades at this point. It is not something that I just one day just all of a sudden could understand. But I did have to question it. I had to question. I had to question, what is love? How can the fruit of the Spirit be, you know, patience and kindness and self-control? How does Jesus love his enemies? Does he really love his enemies? Does he really love his enemies? Does he really love the world? Does he really love and has he really reconciled all things to himself? Are we really reconciled? Are we really one with God now? Or are we in, you know, playing religious games where, you know, we have all of these things that we do to try to please God rather than living inside of God and recognize that he's eternally pleased with us and we've been eternally chosen. I mean, most of us don't even, haven't even realized that because the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, from God's perspective, we were in Christ before we were in Adam and that we were chosen in love, in God before Adam sentenced all of us to death. We were chosen in love. Our origin is not in Adam. Our origin is in him. Our origin is in God. And this changes the way that we see ourselves. It changes the way that we see our our neighbors. You know, most of us still most of us still believe that we still have a sin nature. That there's some kind of battle going on internally rather than recognizing that we've been placed in Christ. We are righteous and holy and blameless. We are perfect. And the only thing that's left to do is renew our minds and to stop being alienated from God in our minds. That now we just have a mind renewal project that what Jesus did is finished. And so this idea, I mean, even just when we say that Jesus forgives sins, yes, he forgave sins, but he forgave them in a certain way by becoming sin. He eradicated us. He was the propitiation for our sin. He absorbed it in his own body. It no longer exists. Sin has been extracted as an, as an entity in our lives. So why do we still sin? Well, first of all, because we believe we're still sinners. First of all, we have no righteousness consciousness. We're completely still operating under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're constantly judging ourselves, judging others. And we're looking through a lens that is not from a place of oneness and union with God. And if you want a righteous person to act righteous, well, then you need to let them know they're righteous. Like what kind of behavior would we be manifesting if our entire lives we actually believed that we were righteous, that there was nothing wrong with us, that anything that had ever been wrong with us was absorbed in Jesus on Calvary? What in the world would we think? How would we think if we were just told our entire lives that we were one with God, that we were holy, that we were righteous? How would we think about ourselves? How would we think about other people? How would we communicate the gospel to other people? We would communicate it in a completely different language. You know, I can hardly even handle the comments that I see on social media from Christians. I mean, and, and God forbid we, we talk about politics. You know, we could write down on a piece of paper right now, I'm sure all of us, if we were really honest about all of the people that we think that God needs to judge that God needs to punish, that, that we needs to come down here and judge these things. And these people need to be this, these people need to da, 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 da. And we don't see these people as worthy of, of, of love, as worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus. Yes, they may be deceived. Yes, they may not know the gospel. But what are we perpetuating to the world? What kind of Jesus are we presenting to the world? What kind of message are we presenting to the world? You know, I, I don't have time to go into it in depth today, but I mean, the idea, and I, I just did it in one of the comments here below, but the idea that God is basically inviting people like, you know, receive my love or I'm going to eternally, uh, you know, burn and you're going to have eternal conscience in hell forever. Like, love me or I will punish you eternally for not loving me. 
Okay, like we don't even we don't even stop to think about what in the world is 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 that about? You know, we we have terms like gaslighting. We have terms in our in our natural world for like narcissists and and people that love like that. And you guys, we don't even stop to think for a moment that this makes God is a loving father. I mean, God is a, is a loving father, but yet when someone rejects the him, he's now going to eterns, eternally, eternally, consciously, consciously punish them for all of eternity. We have laws in our, in our world that talks about what is humane treatment of criminals. And we don't have any kind of, I mean, in a, in a humane society, we don't even allow waterboarding. We don't even allow, allow, um, you know, types of punishment that we consider in, inhumane. But yet all of a sudden a loving God who now we're supposed to say is father. Well, God forbid you actually preach this to people who have been through traumatic experiences with their father. God forbid that you actually begin to, to talk this language to people that are traumatized. And let me tell you, we live in a world that is traumatized, guys. Traumatized by the pandemic, traumatized by abuse, traumatized by crime, traumatized by all kinds of things. We are dealing with a wounded world that is in need of a gospel and a love that heals, a love that proclaims something that is so good that they don't deserve it. No one, no one deserves this. No one deserves heaven. No one deserves any of it. We didn't deserve to die either, guys. We didn't deserve the consequences of Adam's sin. This is not a deserve game. This is not a, a tree of knowledge and goodness game. This is a, this is a, this is the tree of life. This is a tree of eternal life. And this is not something that we earn. This is something that we, that has been done to us. Jesus Christ on the cross did something to us. He did something to us. And it is the best, most incredible news we've ever heard. It is good news to the poor. It is good news to the traumatized. It is good news to the outcast and to the reject. I'm raising my hand because that's how I felt. That's my life story. And I needed love. I need love. Love heals my heart. Love makes me whole. Love is the remedy of what the world is starving for. But we cannot love the world and judge the world. We cannot love the world and threaten the world. We can't threaten the world into good behavior, into righteousness, into relationship with God. Love heals and let me tell you what it is. It's patient. It's kind. It's good, guys. Goodness is not, it's not a, a twisty, hard to understand thing. Good is good. And God is good. His mercy is new every morning. He's merciful. He is kind. He's not counting men's sins against them. He's not judging the world. He's loving the world. And he wants us to be a reflection of the new creation. So is it not a choice we need to accept? Yeah, it's, but listen to this. It's no brainer to accept it. It's like, it's a no brainer. Like who doesn't want to be loved? And if they don't want to be loved, okay, listen to this. You know how some people are so wounded? They, and it's like, a, you know, we have a rescue dog. Have you ever, have you ever had to try to love a rescue dog into safety? Have you ever, ever been around something that was so wounded that they didn't trust you? They didn't trust that, 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 that you were going to pet them instead of beat them? You know, I mean, guys, human beings are no different. I mean, it is, it is, it takes patience to love hurting people. It takes patience to love 
people who have been taught their entire lives that they are worthless, that they are, you know, and, and people aren't, they're complicated. People are messy. Love is messy. Love is messy, guys. Jesus gets down in the mess with people. He, you know this to be true if he's been in your mess. You know, he he's the most incredible person you've ever met. He sits down with you in your mess and he doesn't condemn you. He tells you you just don't know who you are. You're royalty. You're a princess. You're so valuable. You're so valuable that I died for you. I became anything that would ever separate you from my love. He is so real. I love that he became a man. I love that he can relate. I love that sinners were attracted to him. I love that religious people were repelled by him. I love that he went and had dinner with, with Zacchaeus. I love that he chose Matthew, a tax collector. I love that he took regular people who weren't religiously trained and said, hey, I'm going to choose you. You are the chosen ones. I love that he went to, you know, visit the woman at the well when no Jew would even talk to women. I love that he told... uh his disciples, when they wanted to call down fire on people because they rejected Jesus, he said, you don't know what spirit you are of. That Jesus Christ came to save that, seek and save that which was lost. I love the story of the prodigal son who wasn't punished, but was given an inheritance. He was reminded of who he was. You guys, it's all in the scripture, but here's the thing. We can make scripture mean anything. Guys, we can find scriptures to validate genocide. We can find scriptures in the, in the Bible to validate slavery, to validate misogyny, to validate the mistreatment of, of all kinds of things. There are scriptures that say a bunch of stuff, but we have to recognize that Jesus Christ is the express image of love. If you want to know what love looks like, you look at the cross, you look at Jesus that's how you know what love looks like. It looks like dying for people that don't deserve it, that don't even know they need it. It looks like choosing people before they were born, before they ever were going to find out something was wrong with them, before they ever found out that they were going to, there was these rules of, of good and evil, and if they didn't follow them, then they were bad. It looks like that. It looks and it feels like the most incredible thing you've ever heard. And so here's the thing who won't choose it. If our people aren't choosing it, it's because they don't get it. And they're not going to get it as long as we're preaching a lot of the nonsense we're preaching. A lot of our sin-conscious judgment, self-righteous nonsense. You know, I love the idea that I get to once again just love people that I don't have to be afraid of people's sins, that I don't have to disassociate with people that don't know Jesus. You know, I, I, I you know, Kristen was asking about, you know, how do we talk about living in righteousness, conscious versus sin consciousness? I mean, honestly, it, it's a simple, it's a simple concept. Really, the only thing that we have to really get is that we're one with Jesus. And if we would just meditate and renew our minds to the truth that Christ in us is the hope of glory, that we are seated in heavenly places in him, that the illusion of separation is the biggest deception, the biggest lie that has ever been told, then you will get it because you'll start to recognize that there is no righteousness apart from Jesus, that you are righteous, not because you are good. Your righteousness, because you've been made one with the one who is good. You're not worthy because you followed the rules or you fasted and you prayed and you read your Bible and you did all these Christian activities. 
You're righteous and you're good because you live in the only one that is good. You are worthy because you live in the one that is worthy. You almost have to change your language to we are worthy, to we are righteous. Why? Because there is no separation between you and Jesus. He that has been joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You are the very, very temple, the very home of God. And any way that you relate to yourself as anything less than holy or righteous is an illusion. And so I know I've said a lot today and I haven't even gone into like how this affects our end times, our end times eschatology. And I'm not even sure that that's even really my message to even preach to you guys, but it is my message to ask you to rethink it. It is my charge today to ask you to consider that there are many interpretations of, of, of scripture and there is another view of end times than the view that the majority of the Western church in America believes. There is something called a victorious eschatology. There is something that is, that is, it is, it basically speaks of an ever expanding kingdom until the return of Jesus. It, there is an alternative to darkness just continuing to get darker and darker and this thing, the Antichrist coming and all of the things that we have been spoon fed in Western evangelical Christianity. There are alternatives to this. And these, the end times message that most of us have been taught and we believe is a really young theology. It really is only from the Schofield Bible. It's really only from a guy named Darby, but most of us have never even questioned it. And there's a beautiful thing and a horrible thing called confirmation bias. And what confirmation bias tells us is that whatever we believe, we will find a confirmation for it. That when we believe something, we put a lens on it and it's the view through which we see the world. It's a paradigm through which we see the world. And we will continually gather evidence of what we believe. And so if you believe in a victorious church, you will see evidence of that. If you believe in a uh, declining church and an ever powerful enemy, then you will see evidence of that. And so we have to really be open-minded and begin to Study for ourselves what it is that the gospel preaches. And when you get to the place where you start to understand the things that I have talked about today, the things that sin really is judgment, that the root of the, the sin is the knowledge of evil and good. And when you start to understand the message as a mess, the, the message of the gospel about our union with Jesus and being reconciled to him and that the cosmos have been reconciled to him and you start to read the epistles as a message about Jesus's victory, that he's seated far above powers and principalities and rulers of darkness and all of these things, you start to see death as just the last enemy to be defeated. And you start to realize what is, what is actually possible for a resurrected church and when I say a resurrected church, I don't mean a post-mortem resurrected church. I mean a right now resurrected church that is living inside of the resurrected Christ, the resurrected King. When you start to realize that resurrected Jesus is now here on the earth in the church and that we have, we've been commissioned to do the same things that he did in even greater works. You know, all of a sudden when we have been, all authority has been given unto him. And now we are, you know, it says that he will be established there until all of his enemies come under his feet. Well, where are his feet? Well, his feet are the church. And you start to recognize that at this increase of his government, there will be no end, that there is a victorious version of this story. And I'll tell you, I, I, I could go on and on about this, but I, I guess my challenge is that we've got to learn. We've got to study. We've got to, we've got to undo the things that we have not learned, you know, we've learned wrongly. And we've got to recognize that there is a good news that, that leads people to repentance. That the goodness of God is enough for people to believe in God. <laughs> that the good news is so good that just hearing it causes people to start to pray in the spirit. That's what happened in the book of Acts. 
right? I mean, there is a, a supernatural expression of the church and of the goodness and of the gospel that signs and wonders follow, that miraculously manifest the truth of that message. And so, guys, I just, I, I wanted to come on here today just to, to begin to unpack some of these things that we have been taught. You know, we, we have got to get out of the judgment seat. You know, God has judged the world innocent. And the good news of Christ is letting them know it. That they are innocent, that they are in Christ, that Jesus was the undoing of Adam, that they no longer have to live in relationship with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They no longer have to judge. They don't have to judge themselves. They don't have to judge others. They are simply called to love, to love and see other people the way that God does redeemed, healed, whole, and in union with him. So God bless you guys. I know I've unpacked a whole lot in this podcast today, and I probably have made, you know, a lot of people angry. But I um, I have to be true to the message of the gospel. And I have to have to let people hear a different perspective says, but it's in the Bible. How can we get to the truth or is it all in our perspective? I'm honestly asking so that I can explain this to myself and others. My boyfriend doesn't believe that Jesus was the son or God or that he became our son and died on the cross and rose again. But yes, God is absolutely good. And we do need to talk about the goodness of God. Well, you know, here's the thing that I will say about that. You know, Tiffany, um, the beautiful thing about living in union with Jesus and the beautiful thing about being able to hear God's voice And the beautiful thing about getting to this place in our lives where we are living as sons of God, okay? Sons of God, how do they live? Well, those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, right? Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. Jesus spoke what he saw, what what the Father spoke, right? So this is not, um, we're not leading people to Christ apart from Christ, right? We are loving people with the love of Christ that's within us. And, you know, beating people over the head with scripture, I don't know if you've tried that, but that usually doesn't work so well, right? What what it means is that in every relationship, especially with unbelievers, we are led by the Holy Spirit. We are led by the Holy Spirit, And when we are led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows every single person on the planet. He knows everything about them. He knows how to unravel the trauma that they've been through. He knows how to unravel the lies that they've believed. He knows why they believe what they believe. And he knows when they started to believe what they believe. And so it really is as simple as being led by the Holy Spirit being led by the Holy Spirit. And so if we can't hear God, it's really hard to know what he's asking us to do in any given situation. You know, and I I refrain from just telling people this is the formula to lead people to Jesus because people are more complex, especially in this day and age where they can Google anything, right? You can't just, just spoon feed stuff to people and expect them to get it anymore. I mean, everybody's so distrustful. Everybody's so cynical, you know, because we're fed all kinds of stuff every day in the media. So we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. We have to trust the Holy Spirit. And we need to pray for people. We need to pray with people. So I've got to run. But yeah, there's a last one. Can we share this with someone? Well, here's the thing. Here's the exciting thing about the way that we're doing these episodes now is that as I'm, um, they're going to be repurposed into a podcast. So that podcast will be coming out here very shortly. And of course, the podcasts are available on all of the popular podcast platforms. So iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all of that. So um, yeah, so you absolutely will be able to share this message. So let me pray and let me leave you with this. Um, The bottom line is God loves people. And you are, you've been given the, 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 the ministry of reconciliation. But the way that ministry looks is, is not a one size fits all thing, right? The first thing is, is we have to get set free 
from the tree of knowledge of good in our own lives. We really have to let down judgment. And we have to meet people right where they are. I mean, we have to love them right where they are. And people instinctively know if you love them or if you don't. And then here's the other thing. We stand. We stand for a move of God in their life. We stand for a move of the Holy Spirit. And we're simply obedient to whatever it is that he's asking us to do. We make it harder than it is. And we we just need to settle down into our own union with Jesus. Be the beloved ourselves. And then from that place, now we're prepared to see others the way Jesus does and love others the way that Jesus does. And love, you guys, love remains. Love is the greatest thing. Love is the aim of our life. Love is the point. Love is God. So God bless you guys. Thanks for joining today. Hope you enjoyed the message. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Shalise's podcast. This recording is, in part, made possible by our listeners. To partner with us, visit Shalise.com, where you can donate and help us spread the good news of our unshakable union with Christ around the globe. You can also find a link there to download Shalise's book, The Path, for free. And if you're ready to discover the call of God on your life and the purpose he created you for, then visit us at Shalise.com and watch Shalise's free training where you'll hear five keys to hearing God about your life purpose and transitioning into it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, don't forget, the world needs the Christ in you.